Samuel tonight, chapter 26. received other texts. Apparently, the pen in my hand is annoying to a lot of people, not just John. Just giving me more reason to make sure I always have pens available is all that's doing. Yeah, Jerry Jordan texted and said that it bothers him too. I enjoy annoying him. He's from Michigan. First Samuel 26. Uh, Let me start here, uh, verse 2. Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Zip, and and having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Zip. And Saul pitched in the hill of Hekelau, which is before Jezimon, by the way, by David abode in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul was coming very deep. It is, in fact, Saul. There's 3,000 men with him. And David arose and came to the place where Saul had pitched. And David, behold, the place where Saul lay, and Abner, the son of Ner, the captain of his host, and Saul lay in the trench. And the people pitched round about him. Then answered David and said to um, Alemlech, the Hittite, and to Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, the brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul, to the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with thee. And David said, Abishai came to the people by night. And so David and Abishai came to the people by night. And behold, Saul lay sleeping within the trench, and his spear stuck in the ground. And his bolster, but Abner and the people lay round about him. Everybody's asleep. Then, then said Abishai to David, God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. Now therefore let me smite him, I pray thee, with the spear even to the earth at once, uh, um, and I will not smite him the second time. I'll get the job done. And David said to Abishai, Destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. That very thing would happen shortly after this event. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointing. But I pray thee, take thou now that the spear that is at his bolster and the cruise of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the cruise of water from Saul's bolster, and they got them away, and no man saw it, nor knew it, neither awake him, for they were all asleep, because the deep sleep from the Lord was fallen upon them. Then David went over to the other side and stood on the top of a hill afar off, and a great space between them. David cried to the people, said to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Answers thou not, Abner? Then Abner Abner answered and said, Who art thou that criest to the king? And David said to Abner, Art thou not a valiant man? And who is like to thee in Israel? Wherefore then hast thou not kept thy lord the king? 
For there came one of the people to destroy the king, thy Lord. This thing is not good that thou hast done. As the Lord liveth, you are worthy to die, because you have not kept your master the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is, in the cruise of water uh, uh, that was at his bolster. And David knew, excuse me, and Saul knew David's voice and said, Is this the voice of my son David? David said, It is my voice, my Lord, O king. And he said, Wherefore doth my Lord thus pursue after his servant? For what have I done, or what evil is in mine hand? Now therefore I pray thee, let the Lord my king hear the words of his servant. If the Lord hath stirred thee up against me, let him accept an offering. But if, they, but if they be thy children of men, cursed be they before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day from abiding in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. He's showing that those who are worthy of death is not David, but those responsible for driving him out. And I'll explain that in a bit. Now therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a, a, a flea. And when, and when one doth hunt a, a partridge in the mountains, you see the humility of David. Then said Saul, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do thee harm, because my soul was precious in thine eyes this day. Behold, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. David answered and said, Behold, the king's spear, let one of the young men come over and fetch it. The Lord rendered every man his righteousness and his faithfulness, for the Lord delivered thee into my hands today. But I would not stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. And behold, as thy life was much set by this day in mine eyes, he placed value on it, what that means. So let my life be much set in the eyes of the Lord, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be thou, my son David. Thou shalt both do great things, and shalt still prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, Lord, I love you, and I ask your blessing upon the message today. Lord, I pray that you be glorified and honored. Help me to stay true to your word. Control what I say and how I say it. Lord, may the truth that we see here and the different things that we want to pull out that are lessons for us, Lord, I pray that you would, you would help me to teach it and preach it effectively, that it would be in our hearts and in our minds. And Lord, that you would use it to help us to draw closer to you to make good decisions in our life. Lord, even we're facing great difficulties as David was. So Lord, please help. I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Again, these verses are, it's near the end actually of Saul's life. Um, this will be the last time that Saul, this event here is the last time Saul tries to kill David. That's not, not, there's no reason to believe that's the last time because of genuine repentance on Saul. Saul has made similar statements to David in the past, so he, he, he has not, there's just no, he, Saul was a man of emotions. Emotions controlled him, all right? When, when his emotions was in one state, he acted upon that. When it was another state, he acted upon that. Whether it was anger, whether it was bitterness, whether it was joy, whether it was relief, whatever it was. He acted upon emotions. He did not act upon principle. It's sort of emotions was controlling him at the moment he would respond to. There was no, the, the self-discipline wasn't in place. He was very much self-willed, but not so much self-disciplined in life. And so the reason why this will really be the last time he tries to kill David is because he's getting ready to have a battle with the Philistines and Saul is going to be killed in that battle. Saul has tried to kill David prior to this many times. 
His first attempt to kill David, of course, is, if you remember, is with a javelin. He was in Saul's house. At least three times, actually, he tried to kill him uh, with a javelin, throwing it at him. And David was playing the harp for Saul. David was talented on the harp. And um, he would play for Saul, and especially when that evil spirit was bothering him, David would come in and play that godly, soothing music, and it would help. But three times, Saul tried to kill him. Twice, Saul tried to kill David indirectly through giving him ridiculous things to do to the Philistines. Listen, David, if you want my daughter's hand in marriage, this is, what I, this is what I want you to do in the land of the Philistines. His plan was that David would be killed through those events. Of course, that God was with David and that never happened and David was able to succeed in the tasks that were given to him. Saul then tried to kill David by ordering the members of his court to kill David. It did not work. Saul tried to kill David by surrounding his house and trap him. That did not work. Four efforts were made by Saul to kill David and Ramah, where David had fled to Samuel for protection. One occasion, Saul ordered Jonathan to bring David to Saul because he wanted to kill him. Saul made plans to kill David at uh, Kalil until David moved from there. Saul sought David continually, the Bible says. In 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 14, it says, Saul sought him every day when he was in the wilderness. Over and over and over, Saul is trying to kill this man. Jealousy controlling him, rage controlling him, anger controlling him. Saul then, of course, tried to kill him in the wilderness of Maon, but the Philistines, that's when the Philistine invasion stopped at the last second. Saul then, uh, 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 in the wilderness of En Gedi, that was also a time when David could have killed Saul, but did not. This is the second time David, David could have taken his life, but he did not. So, in our text, this is the last attempt of Saul to kill David. David's life has been full of trials and troubles for the last couple of years. He has been running, this man, with an army, has been trying to kill him. And he did see some amazing deliverances of God. He did. I mean, remember, he's on the edge there on the side of the mountain, and they're, and they're encompassing him. They're, they're all around about him. Looks like it is over with. Then the news comes of the invasion, and Saul has to pull back. God's hand has been there. God's hand has been directing. And even though this has been a troublesome time for David, uh, uh, um, it was a time for him to learn and to grow. So we have much, I think, that we can actually learn from. And I want to pull a couple of things out, not necessarily dealing with, with, the, with the events in an expository manner in this text, but pulling out some things that I think will help us from 1 Samuel chapter 26. I think there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from it. We see David, a man who is putting God first. We have Saul, who is a man who is carnal and fleshly. Here's a man who is carnal and fleshly, trying to impede the will of God in the life of David. Of course, he's not going to be successful. We see God using difficult experiences and difficult people in the life of David to prepare him for what he is getting ready to do, and that has become king of Israel. He will be a different king than Saul. He will not be self-willed, but he will be a man after God's own heart. <clears throat> these events are similar to what took place in the cave in, in Gedi, going back just a couple of chapters. However, David is much stronger by this point. Let me see if I can see 
what had happened. Things have changed in his life, although the next chapter is an interesting one because David does go backwards in the next chapter. But nonetheless, David has grown some since this time. Um, I I think a key person has come into his life in Abigail Um, and what he had learned from her and what he learned from that experience. I think we see parts of that taking place in this chapter because he is now married to Abigail. We learned some important principles, things like this from this text, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on. There's just three things that I'm going to try and focus on, but it's things that I've talked about before in relation to this text. One, I've dealt with in the past here. Opportunity does not mean permission. Just because there's an open door for something in your life doesn't mean it's of God. It doesn't. There was an open door here in chapter 24 with Engedi. There's an open door here in this chapter with him to take Saul's life uh, um, with Saul right before him. But not every open door is of God. Open opportunity. In other words, let's look at this week. Opportunity does not mean permission. It does not. Not every open door is of the Lord. I think we have two examples of that in Samuel back-to-back because we need to learn that. It was just like when I'd use that excuse when I was new in the Air Force and getting in, trying to knock out several courses at New Mexico State and getting into some computer courses at the time, and I really enjoyed it, and then uh, I'm back home on a, on a vacation with Mary, and we were talking to one of Marion's aunt, and she worked for NASA. She said, you just finish your associates, I can get you in here. And know what my thought was? What an open door of the Lord. <laughs> Listen, opportunity does not mean permission. It does not. <clears throat> so, let's get into a few things, just three things here, and we'll go home tonight. What I want to learn from this, this last encounter that David has with King Saul. One thing I learned from David in this encounter, as well as other encounters, what, what he faced when I overlook his life. But this is his last one with Saul. This is something David had to learn to do and something he had to do. And that is you have to learn to be able to trust God with the unknown. Or things you can't control. You've got to get to a place where you have to trust God with the unknown or things you cannot control. This is a weakness of mine. This is why I think there's so much in here that speaks to me personally, because I like things in order. I like to be prepared. I like to know what's coming. I, I, I have to be able to see it. I have to be able to work it through in my mind, and then I can be settled. But, but, if, I, but if I don't have that, I can be so unsettled. David had to learn, no, there's times you just don't know. There's just times you just don't understand. You have to trust God with the unknown. Saul has been chasing David at this point. It's been almost five years it would have been. Almost five years at this point that he's been chasing David. Think of that. For five years of David's life, he's been running and running and running and running and running time and time again. Running from a man with an army of his own nation trying to kill him. David knows he's never meant Saul any harm. He has done nothing but support him. He didn't try any political coup. He has been faithful. He has been loyal. David has no doubt brought this before. Actually, we know he has. Look in the book of Psalms. Pleading for God's help. 
Sometimes we find ourselves in similar circumstance. We bring things before God, things that, of an unknown or things we don't understand, uh, things that just aren't seeming to work out. You, 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 you know uh, what, what God has directed, what God has led. It just doesn't seem to be working out, but you just have to trust God. You bring it before Him. You have to trust God with the unknown. We can come before God and tell Him, Oh Lord, it's in Your hand. And the problem is, when you see nothing change, that's where we have a problem with it. Do you understand? That's the moment that requires faith. That's the moment that requires faith. When it doesn't change. That's when it requires faith. Five years David's running from Saul. Think of how different this day would have went and how much it would have changed his rule as a king. If it even would have came to pass then. And David got tired of it. See, you know what? This is an opportunity of the Lord. He could have justified that moment in his mind so easily. Easily. But he held to principle. Trusting God with the unknown. In other words... He didn't know how it was all going to work out. He didn't. Just, just as he's talking to, as him and Saul are, are yelling back and forth in his valleys, he's telling Saul, what have I done? Tell him, think who really sinned here. The ones who, drew, who have driven me out from my own nation. When you don't understand, you trust God. If He doesn't answer it in your time frame, you know what you do? Trust God. That's what you do. And and if you remember, life's about Him. It is. It's about Him. There's a measure of peace with that because that never changes. Ever. Ever. an important rule for this to remember, to make it as practical as we can. Things you have to keep in place in your mind. One, remember this. He is God, you are not. He is God, you are not. He really does see the big picture. He sees what's coming tomorrow and next year and five years and ten years. He knows what he needs to accomplish We have to trust Him and know that He is good and that He is there for us. Know that He is God, you are not. He knows tomorrow, you don't. We all have different times with our children where we can think of events where where we know that they lack understanding in a moment where you had that knowledge through your experience and because of, of being an adult and, and, and even though they didn't understand it, they still needed to obey you at the time. It's kind of like Daniel was really small. He was, I don't know, 18 months, 2 years old. We were on base housing there in New Mexico. And we had the Christmas tree up with the lights on it. And I was just in the kitchen, and it was just small base house. He came out of the kitchen in the living room area, and the tree was right there. And I'm not paying attention to him, and he said, my hand is hot, my hand is hot. 
And I'm like, what? I turn over, and he's standing at the kitchen. I think he just has on a diaper, and that's it. And he's holding on to a light bulb from the tree. And I'm like, let go of the light bulb. That's why your hand is hot. But that connection goes out. Young was, he didn't make it. He just, hey, my hand is hot. <laughs> he was dumber than a box of rocks. No, I was kidding. But <laughs> But there's times that we have knowledge they don't. You have to understand God knows so much more than you. He does. We also see from this, I'm still under trusting God with the unknown and trying to give principles to help you. There are times because we live in a sin-cursed earth that we do suffer because of the sins of others. David's five years of suffering dealt with the sin of another man and not his own. God was still going to use all of this greatly to David's benefit. David learned great things about God during these five years. He learned a lot that he never would have experienced before. And remember, David was in a place God could do this to him and didn't have to worry about him becoming bitter, just like Joseph. You want to know why? Because David was a man after God's own heart. He was. We see in our text here that David trusted God enough where he would head deep into enemy territory. There's a lot of unknowns here. There's nothing in Scripture that tells us David knew the Lord caused the deep sleep. doesn't tell us that. It's after it, it says that. All we know is, as we read, if you caught that, David hears, sent the spies, it's Saul, he's coming with 3,000 men. What does David do? He heads towards him. Interesting. There's a measure of trust in God. That's why I mean you can see growth right now in David at this point. You can The Lord protected David. David comes right up on Saul. The Lord put the enemy in a deep sleep. And again, I do not believe David had heard from God that God did that. I believe he was acting on faith at this point. By the way, many times, and I'm sure we'll all agree with this, we could all have a whole separate testimony time to go on for a couple hours when we can look back and see God's hand of protection. There are many times that God protects us and we don't even know it. There's many times that we're in God's hands He does protect. I would much rather trust in that, knowing of a sovereign God in control and the importance of my yieldedness to Him, to Him, to cover my protection than me trying to figure it out myself. Because there's a lot of unknowns. The Lord protected him. By the way, it would have been easy for David, and David was never this way. Just like we see his humility. Saul, in chasing me, you're chasing a flea. I'm not even worth your time. This is crazy. You know, David could have went back before his mighty men and said, you know what? You guys would have been so proud of me. I used these skillful movements at night. I was like a ninja. 
cutting through the army. Nobody even knew I was there. He didn't do anything of the sort. He knew it was all of God. I think this one's important. This one, this, this here helps me when I'm unsettled and can't figure it out. The unknowns in life are known to God. The unknowns in life are known to God. He's not ignorant of it. He's well aware. There's nothing. He never has a moment of, oh, I get it now. All the unknowns in life are known to him. What's going on in your future as you're making decisions are known to God. I think, again, that principle helps me the most. Secondly, we learn this. Not only do we have to trust God with the unknown, I think this is a, this is a, a good one from here. Uh, an important one, I, I should say. We are to leave vengeance to God. We are. Like any other person on this planet, we love payback. We do. Somebody does us wrong, I'm doing your own back. We love payback. But we are to leave vengeance to God. We see that here. I believe that one of the reasons why David wanted one of the men to go with him, why Abishai went with David, I think David knew, by the way, that he's going to say, kill him. Now, I think David knew that David was going to stop him, of course. David was about to let that happen. But we've seen 8 through 12 as David has this discussion with him. He said, listen, you're not, destroy him not. Who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? This is a man that has tried to kill David over and over and over and over and over and over. Time and time again for no cause. And the men that are there to protect him, that are giving their life to David, are staying with him as he's this outcast. One of his key men says, listen, God has delivered him into our hand. And David said, no, no, it would violate a principle. We're not doing it. And he says, listen, the Lord can kill him right now. If the Lord does it, great. I have to trust God with this. How often we take God's will into our own hands at that point. Let me help God out. It's not how that works in life. Vengeance belongs to the Lord, not us. And you know where I think David learned this in his growth process as we're coming into this chapter? What he witnessed with Abigail. I mean, think what he witnessed with Abigail with that woman. Now, remember, he, he was getting ready to take out her husband. He was. She was to come. She, I, mean, I mean, she's living with this guy. She comes today and says, no, 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 don't do it. I mean, she, you think she'd been like, good, kill him. Take him out. But she does what's right. David saw that. I think he learned from her. Again, David could have killed him justifying. I'm going to speed the will of God along here. David, instead of killing Saul, what he did do was, in verses 13 through 20, was demonstrate his innocence before him. After taking the spear in the water, David goes a good distance in the mountain, calls out to Saul. He shows, if any are worthy of death, it would be Adner. Adner, because he didn't protect the king right now. He's worthy of death right now. David got right up on him and took King Saul's spear. David knew 
you are now worthy of death. But that's not all David said. He's not the only one worthy of death. David says, listen, if I have wronged thee, let me know. I'll offer sacrifice. I'll do what needs to be done. Tell me what I did. But David said, the real wrong is causing me to be forced out of my own land to serve other gods. That's what he's referring to in verse number 19. Those are the ones worthy of death. You see examples of that in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 17. Listen, Israel was a special place. I, again, I'm not one big on geography, but with, throughout the Word of God, we see the specialness of Israel, of Jerusalem, of what is there. So we learn, we have to trust God with the unknown. We are to leave vengeance to God and trust Him. God's really good at that part. He is. Trust Him with it. And lastly here tonight, amazingly enough in all of this, David showed love to Saul. He did. To the man that's been trying to kill him. Think about this. David really went out of his way to create an opportunity where he could have killed Saul. He never was going to. But he went out of his way to create this moment where he could have taken his life. This is different than the cave. David brings one of his men with him. David stopping him from killing him. Look at verse 24. David said this, And behold, as thy life was much set by, uh, was much set by this day in mine eyes. He said, Saul, I value your life. I wasn't going to take it. David risked his own life just to show Saul, I actually care about you. All this is hitting Saul in a moment. All that David did in his braveness and coming through there, knowing that if those soldiers wake up, he is dead. It's over with. And he risked the moment not to kill Saul, but to demonstrate, I care for you. He's demonstrating love. What he did took love, it took grace. Unmerited favor. If you're showing grace to somebody who loves you, that's not grace. I mean, you should, but that's not grace. That's merited. It's when it's unmerited. When it's not deserved. You still show love. David was demonstrating the principle of Romans chapter 12, verse 21. He was not going the road of vengeance to stop evil from happening to him. This is important. He wasn't. That's what we think, That's what we think that does. If I kill him, it's over with. That's not true. 
Ask all the Caesars in Rome how well that works out for them. Dead, 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 assassination, 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 assassination. David was not thinking, okay, if I use vengeance, I can overcome his evil. No. He overcame evil with good. That's what he did. Follow the principle that's not even written yet in Romans chapter 12. He overcame evil with good. That's how we do that. It is amazing how if we show grace and love, how God can use that towards those who seek our harm. David in, in Gedi, when Saul ended up in, in the same cave as him, he did learn there to spare his enemies. But here he's learning to love his enemies. And as a result, we hear Saul's words. Then said Saul, this is King Saul saying to David, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do thee harm, because my soul was precious in thine eyes this day. Behold, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. Again, I don't believe Saul, even, even when he did this in the past, I, I believe Saul is not playing a hypocrite when he says this. I don't believe he was in the past either. I believe in that moment, it's truly what he felt. And he's right. The problem is the man wasn't governed by principle. As I've already mentioned, emotions controlled him. When the emotion changed, he didn't have enough self-discipline to allow that to control his action. The new motion took, emotion took over, and that determined what he did. Are, are you following me with that? Do you know how much that measure of self-discipline, which God's Spirit can give you, can help in your life? When you allow that to take place? We see Saul's response. Verse 25, Saul says to David in the last words, Blessed be thou my son, David. Here's his last words to him. And he was right. Thou shalt both do great things. And also thou, thou shalt still prevail. He was right. He was right. Even in Saul's death, by the way, which Saul was his biggest enemy through his life up to this point, trying to kill him. Even in Saul's death, he doesn't rejoice. He doesn't rejoice. So we learn a few principles here that I want to draw out today. One, we have to trust God with the unknowns. We are to leave vengeance to God. We see the importance of showing love to others, even if they don't deserve it, and that takes grace. With heads bowed and eyes closed. Now, as we come into a time of invitation, let me ask this. Most important, aside from everything that I just preached, if you're to die right now, where would you go? Have you truly been converted? What's going to happen to you when you die? What's going to happen to you when you stand before God in Judgment Day? Are you certain that you will be with the Lord for an eternity? Because the Bible teaches us, Christ said it Himself. Few there be that find it. Do you know where you're going? The whole reason Jesus Christ came to this earth, God in the flesh, was to save you from the judgment to come. 
He lived on this life as a man, a perfect life. He went to that cross to take your place. Literally, to take your sins and your wrongs upon himself so that he could give you his perfect life so you could be saved from judgment day. If you're here right now, say, Pastor McGovern, really, I'm, I'm here, but my salvation has been bothering me. Or I'm not certain. I don't know for certain that if I died, I'd go to heaven. Please, I do want you to pray for me. If that is you, would you just raise your hand where I can see it, then you can put it down. Let me acknowledge it, and then you can put it down. Anybody here like that at all right now? Just put your hand up for me, and then put it back down. You're not certain. I see a couple of small children. Yes, sir. See that hand in the back. Anybody else? Yes, sir. I'm, I'm certainly glad you're here this evening. Just keep, keep on looking at me. If you'd like somebody to talk with you, I have people right here to the side. If you'd like them to talk to you more about your salvation, about what Christ did for you. If you would like that, you just nod your head, I'll send them. And if not, I'll, I'll just continue to pray for you. So you just let me know. If you want them to talk with you, just nod your head. If not, I'll, I'll pray for you. That decision is yours. John, in, in the foyer, blue chair. Christian. Living in this flesh isn't easy. You think of the points that I just brought up. We are prone to do the opposite. It's running through our blood. But thankfully, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We have the indwelling spirit of God. Know what he can do? He can help us to trust God with the unknowns. He can help us not to turn to vengeance, but to turn to that last point of grace and love. If you have something you need to come and pray about, you come and pray. Father in heaven, I do pray for the one being dealt with. Lord, I do pray for his salvation. I pray he'd be cleared and he'd understand. Lord, I pray you'd bless this time and meet the needs that are here. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Page 378. If you need to come and pray here this evening, you come and pray.